Hello, hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of Skeptics and Seekers Sunday Sermon. This is 4S. I'm David Johnson. Let's get started. Dr. Edwards, you are in the middle of a legal battle against a Bible college in the UK, and there's a lot to unpack here, but it all started with a tweet that you wrote, now it's called X, it used to be Twitter, on human sexuality. Can you? Okay. Isn't it interesting that um, when something controversial comes up, especially involving a Christian, it's X, formerly known as Twitter that awful cesspool of a place that Christians still find uh, to be a good place to express their values. I, I just, it's an interesting thing that's going on there, and maybe it warrants some discussion. I hope that it doesn't d dominate the discussion this week, but <laughs> it's just something that I've, I've watched this a, a couple of times, and uh, that just keeps coming to the forefront. Um, so, yeah, this podcast, uh, Dr. Edwards, uh, he was dismissed from uh, his position, his teaching position at a university over something that he said on X, once again, unsurprising uh, there. And what he said had to do with, of course, homosexuality. Of course you all had that before I said a word, because the church it's, is breaking its own back over this issue that is, quote-unquote, non-essential. And yet, in every corner of the church, whether it's the conservative Bible Belt Christian South, the liberal uh, Northeast, uh, the even more liberal UK <laughs> and all over the world, uh, the church is breaking its back over this issue. One other word before I get going, I want to have long chunks of this playing. I'll do my best I will fail, but I will do my best to get through this in a very timely manner. I just want to say I'm still here. It has been a while since I've done a show. It's been a while since I've done a short. I've got lots of shows stacked up. I'm going to go back to doing a lot of solo shows. It's not because I am unhappy with my guests. I can't be more happy when I'm able to get one of the usual suspects on the show. It's just really tough these days. And so while waiting on guests to loosen up their schedule, you know, I miss shows. So that's one aspect of it. I just need to be able to get shows out when I have time to get them out. And it's just really hard to do that with guests, no matter how much you love them, no matter how much they love being on the show. Uh, so that is, that is just a, a straight fact there. Uh, I think that we'll see Darren probably from time to time. I haven't talked to him about it, but you know, he's, uh, he works in a way that, uh, his schedule tends to be somewhat, uh, flexible. And so he, uh, enjoys coming on the shows. I enjoy having him on the show. So we might have, uh, da Darren for a few 
more of these than normal, but otherwise just expect solo shows. As for the shorts, uh, been a busy time at work, but work really isn't the excuse. Uh, it is honestly uh, health issues. Uh, so I've been having uh, trouble with my knees. You remember the accident a year and a half ago, hit by a van, yada, yada, yada. Uh, that is a gift that keeps on giving. I keep alluding to it. I am now almost full-time in a wheelchair. Um, so that sucks. Uh, that really, really sucks. A uh, lot of pain. Uh, there will be a knee replacement, uh, total knee replacement, but there, it's just a matter of when. Uh, my glucose is a little high, and so that needs to come down a bit. So it could be very soon at this point, or it could be a month. Uh, I'm not sure, but hopefully it's soon. What you need to know, you probably know something about total knee replacements. These days, it's not that big of a surgery, to, to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, they, these surgeons do a million of them a year. They're, they're, we, we know how to do them, and uh, they're pretty straightforward. Mine is not straightforward because of other things going on with my leg and because of the trauma from the accident and so forth, and then previous surgeries. So they're going to have to take out hardware that has been holding my knee together for a while. Uh, there's some uh, question about how they're going to route uh, that very important vein that goes through there, uh, how to control uh, infection, because this is a real infection, dangerous kind of infection possibility. There are risks. There are real hard risks involved. And, you know, the average surgeon would not touch this surgery. Um, and so I think I have one that will touch the surgery. I don't want to be in a wheelchair for the rest of my life. Hell, I don't want to be in a wheelchair for the rest of the month. So um, that needs to get sorted, and it will. So there's there's a little bit of background and catch up. I, uh, I accept your well wishes as a given. And so if you want to leave a comment that is therapeutic, make it a comment about the content of the show, because I love interacting uh, with the listeners on this content. So I just wanted to catch you up on that. And if you want to do something for me to help me through this difficult time, comment skepticsandseekers.squarespace.com. Log into your Discuss account and discuss away. You can even send me an email. I correspond with people from time to time, skepticsandseekers at gmail.com. If you're one of those people who would like to appear on the show, and sit in a pew with me while we break down a sermon. Uh, you can do so during the, uh, via email or via the website. It doesn't matter where you put it on the website. I will see it and own with a show. First, tell us what what was in this tweet that sparked so much. Yeah, so I, I so the tweet was homosexuality is invading the church. Evangelicals no longer see the severity of this because they're busy apologizing for their apparently barbaric homophobia, whether or not it's true. This is a gospel issue, by the way, for if sinners no longer sin, we no longer need a savior. So from my point of view, I was making a, a point about kind of evangelical cowardice at not standing up to what's quite obviously happening, a secular incursion and invasion into the church um, doctrinally. 
on the basis of um we say we only we only go go to war on gospel issues so if you go and have a go at who jesus is if you say that jesus you know isn't fully god or something or if you say denounce the trinity then we'll go to war and we'll fight you um or we'll defend that doctrine but you know sexuality maybe maybe it's not such a big big deal maybe actually um god god doesn't care that much or even if people say that he does care i'm not going to lose my political capital to do that they're going to call me homophobic if i do it's like if you are homophobic then yeah go and go and repent and apologize at, at you know hate being hateful or irrationally hate hate hating some other uh, group that um regardless of who they are uh, or perhaps because of who they are that, that's something to apologize for but not because you feel like you ought to and so that was the point of my tweet and I realized it needed to be said strongly because I think the passivity that crept in, we just got we, more and more in retreat every single year. This okay, uh, this tweet, I really wanted to stop with each section of the tweet and break it down. I think that I'll have a chance to do that uh, throughout uh, this discourse. But I, let, me just, let me just say right here, I don't completely disagree with Dr. Edwards. I, I do disagree with him to the extent of how much I disagree with him. I don't know. But let me just let me just put it this way. He might have a case. He he might actually have a, a at least a moral case from the religious framework, possibly. Um I don't think he has a legal leg to stand on, but from a Christian against uh, Christian versus Christian, uh, standing up for the gospel point of view, he might have a case, and and part of it might have to do with this aspect of what is or isn't essential. What are Christians willing to go to war on, as it were? Now, frankly, I think that Christians should stop using this militant framework altogether. I know it's biblical, but the Bible is, you know a pile of garbage written by fools, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, literate fools, but fools, <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't think they're particularly well-balanced individuals uh, who are responsible for that, as is true with, uh, I think, most religious texts, which I'm familiar. So, that said, in that framework, um, he, might, he might have a point. Is homosexuality one of those issues that's worth going to war over? Is it worth splitting the church over? Knowing, excuse me, knowing how important unity among uh, fellow believers was to Jesus, is, is this an issue that's worth it? Because if you say it's not an essential on par with, say, the divinity of Jesus, then why are you splitting churches over it? Uh, I, I don't know. If it's just one of those secondary issues, then it seems like, you know, an issue of should there be women pastors? Is that is that really worth splitting church over? By the way, churches have split <laughs> many times over that. Whether there should or there should not be instrumental music in a church, uh, is that worth splitting churches over? Because churches have split over that. Um, You know, what what is worth going to war over. Now, again, once again, I think this is all Looney Tunes. Why are you going to war at all, especially against each other? This is, this is a civil war. This really isn't a war against, quote-unquote, the culture. 
this is Christian against Christian, church against church, and for that, the stakes have to be really, really high. Are the stakes, theologically speaking, are the stakes high enough to go to war to the extent that we have seen conservative Christians do? And let's make no mistake about it. These are conservative Christians that are going to war and splitting churches over the issue. Progressive Christians, there are many progressive Christians who don't believe in things like gay marriage. They don't personally support it, but they also don't think it's worth splitting the church over. The people splitting the church are the fundies. Straight up. So, um, is it worth it? How do you define what's worth it? If you say it's not an essential, how could it be worth it? If it is worth it, should it be elevated to an essential? Or should you uh, adjust your list of essentials so that it includes cultural issues? I don't know, but I think he might have a case, um, theologically speaking. We'll see. Statements coming out from leaders and organizations and preachers. Preachers hardly ever preached on this thing um, anymore. I, I preached on it at the college that I, I was working for uh three or four years ago in the chapel and the and the sermon was taken down off the website even though it wasn't saying anything that was contrary to evangelical doctrine and even though a lot of the students would have agreed with me and i had many people come up to me afterwards visiting people at the chapel that day and say i haven't heard a preacher preach on this for about 10 years as well that's interesting and so just it's just you know people not saying oh we, we're not saying we we now agree with LGBT. We're just not mentioning it. We're not talking about, well, this is the time to mention it because this is where it's happening. So, yeah. Well, in your tweet, it, it doesn't attack a person. It doesn't go after anybody. It's talking about a doctrinal issue of faith. One, as you have just astutely noted, should be discussed and talked about like any other issue. And so that's what you tweeted. That's what you put mm-hmm. out there. What, and by the way, before I even ask this next question, you mentioned you preached at the college. Just so people understand, what, what was your position at the college? What were you teaching? I, I was the lecturer in theology, preaching, and mission. So one of the things I, so I ran over, oversaw the master's program in mission, and in which I taught modules on preaching. And I taught the preaching, all the preaching modules at the college I taught. But after I preached that sermon, I wasn't asked to preach at the chapel for another, I think, two years. Um, so I think they might say, oh, that's just coincidental. I mean, I would say I don't think so. Okay. Um, let's consider this for a moment because his biggest issue, there's a lawsuit. His lawsuit is against the university for a wrongful termination. Now, I agree with laws that protect workers from wrongful termination. However, and this is where things get a little tricky and where I'm not exactly on this guy's uh, side. If we were talking about mm, some secular institution, he might be right. There might be wrongful termination there. Uh, A person expressing their personal beliefs on... um, you know, an awful social media site. Um, You know, I don't, I don't know if that in and of itself uh, is wrongful termination or not. I don't 
No. However, this is not that. This is a Christian institution. And Christians have demanded, created carve-outs for themselves. And the kind of carve-out I'm talking about is they have the right, at least in America, to discriminate based on religious beliefs. Because <laughs> of course they do. They can discriminate on all kinds of things. And so if you don't agree with the doctrines of that church, or you don't fall in line with the doctrines of that church or parachurch institution, then you can be terminated. That's what the churches wanted. And so whether it's like this in the UK or not, maybe someone in the UK uh, can comment on that. But um, a Christian institution can set its own rules of faith and conduct for potential employees. You can't do this with the state. The state can't issue rules of faith and conduct concerning faith. But religion can. So this university clearly has some rules based on faith and conduct. There might be, uh, you know, some type of contractual agreement uh, that you sign e expressing the, the terms of faith uh, that they have and that you must agree with these terms of faith. This man might be outside of that. I don't know. This does not come up in the video, but that's a distinct possibility. It could be some unwritten rules uh, that, you know, this university has. This university may not be one of those universities that believes that homosexuality is a big issue. Okay? It's a Christian university, and there are plenty of Christian universities that would hold to that position. So this may be one of those. I don't know. We don't know. Uh, it's not mentioned. But if it is, uh, Dr. Edwards does not have a case because what he is in is the situation that Christians have begged to be in, which is to say that religious institutions have a carve-out for discrimination. They can discriminate based on faith. So, Dr. Edwards, you are in an institution where you can, uh, you know, where they can discriminate based on your faith. I would say one other thing about this. I feel like I've spoken too long in this uh, segment, but it's important to understand at least some of these things. And I, I hope there's some discussion uh, on this on the board. And I'm happy to be corrected uh, or, or affirmed either way on the board. And if you're in different parts of the world than America, America, um, mega. If you're in some other part of the world, you know, let me know how it works there. I would love to know. But, um, Institutions, even sec even with secular institutions, your conduct is judged not just when you're on the clock. In in some positions, it is assumed that you are always on the clock. You are never not on the clock because you represent the company in a substantial way. And so, for instance, uh, if you get arrested for, you know, getting in a drunken brawl and you are uh, an executive at a company, you can be fired. Absolutely. Because you are, you are 
harming the reputation of that company. Uh, you know, a lot of people have learned the hard way that even though X is a quote unquote free speech platform, uh, the world is bigger than X. And so you can say anything you want to on X and Elon Musk will let you the more awful, the better, but the, your employer can fire you for that because you are substantially representing the company even on your private time. So you can't just go on X and say, oh yeah, by the way, I'm a racist. I hate black people. I'm a Nazi and down with the Jews. And then expect to go back to work in some position of authority and, uh, and have your passcode, you know, authenticated. It won't be, you're out. Uh, so if it's, if it's that way where Dr. Edwards is, and once again, I have no idea, Again, he doesn't have a case because what he is saying on X represents the institution that he works for. So this is where things get, you know, a little bit legally murky. And so I think he probably doesn't have a legal case. But theologically, he might have a moral case. Um, your uh, job was to teach your job was to teach young people and others how to preach. And so that mm. I, it's important. We note that because yeah, when right. we're talking, when we're talking about preaching, we're talking about sticking to the word of God, sticking to the truth. Absolutely. And so that's an, an essential detail in the midst uh, of this conversation. Now you put this tweet out there. What immediately happened after you sent the tweet in terms of reaction on yeah. campus, off of campus? So it was all on Twitter. All the reaction was on Twitter. Um, so I went, I think I responded to a couple of people early in the morning. It came out at 8am on a Sunday morning. It was a scheduled tweet. So I'd written it a, month, a week or so earlier. I think I edited it, see coming out. I, I'm, I'm just to make sure it's what I wanted to say. And it is what I wanted to say. It was in the midst of the, the Church of England debates about blessing same-sex um, relationships and marriages, but just it's a classic Church of England thing to do to pretend we're not going to go for gay marriage, but we're going to like bless it uh, in some ways. It's completely ludicrous. Um, and so, I hang on, what's ludicrous about saying a few positive words for individuals who are entering uh, a marriage relationship? I mean, I don't. There's nothing magical about a blessing, unless unless he unless he's using blessing, which all, many Christians do, as if it were some kind of magical incantation. Uh, I I would think that you would want to bless people who are evil. And, and the blessing that you might offer is that you know, whatever has gone wrong in their life or with their psyche that has caused them to be what they are, may that be healed and cured uh, to restoration. If an evil person gets married, you should bless that marriage because it does not help society to have another bad marriage. If an evil person can have a good marriage, that in itself is something restorative for that person and to society. Uh, because marriage is a separate thing from religion. People who are not religious get married all the time. Wouldn't you want to bless those marriages? 
it doesn't matter if they're atheists. Wouldn't you want to bless those marriages so that they are good for society and humanity? And so what is wrong with blessing gay marriages, even if you don't agree that homosexuals should be married? They're being married and they're in your society and they're in your church. And so it seems to me like a blessing should be a way of uh, a, a prayer, kind of, that, you know, may God make the best situation out of this marriage between these two people that are going to hell. I realized I needed to speak strongly, had that coming out on the Sunday, and then it got jumped on by lots of pro-LGBT advocates, not just, you know, Christian ones with a Methodism which is the college was affiliated with British Methodism, which had voted on gay marriage the year earlier, but also just secular gay people who imagine if you see that, if you're a gay person, who's not a Christian, you just see homosexuality is invading the church. They kind of read it almost like homosexuals are invading society. We want that is kind of what you're saying though, right? Um, you're not going to be able to separate that out. Homosexuality invading the church. What you have is homosexuality invading. It, homosexuals aren't invading anything. They were already in your church. They may have been quiet about it. Uh, they may have been hidden about it, you know, kind of like your God, but they were always there. They, they didn't invade anything. And if you believe that your church should be the vanguard of society and not the other way around, then by saying they're invading the church, you are in fact saying they're invading society you know, the only good society that matters. Get rid of you all and throw you into the lake of fire or something. So, Which, once again, is something that you believe <laughs> that, um, you know, these people, if they persist in their ways, are going to be thrown in a lake of fire. Completely, you know, read it in bad faith. It's quite obviously a theological in-house discussion. It's not a theological in-house discussion when you're discussing it on fucking Twitter. I I see this issue with Christians all the time. Oh, I said this thing online and people took it out of context. This was just an in-house debate. This is Christians not understanding how the internet works. This is Christians not understanding technology. This is Christians not keeping up with, uh, dare I say, society, with culture, because technology is a big part of that. And they, they on the one hand, want something like Twitter to be a a completely open town square, and yet on the other hand, they want what they say in that open town square to be only considered by other Christians, as if no one else can hear them. Well, you're on a party line, folks. We can hear you. Um, and it's read not as that. Um, and so that by the time I got back... So you could have published this in some Christian journal where nobody is reading it except for people like you. That's not what you did. Church in the afternoon, I think it had been viewed <clears throat> 25,000 times, or 25,000 views it had, and loads of people swarming around it, going wow. crazy. So I was a bit surprised by that. So then I quickly did a few quote tweets and said, okay, here, let me respond to some of the things. Here's why I don't think it's homophobic. I didn't attack individuals. I wasn't defaming anyone. Um, it didn't really matter. Like I think that the way that this, this tsunami is uh is working in in culture at changing people's worldview without them even really rationalizing it. I don't think even rational explanations make a huge difference. I think often I think of when Jesus speaks of those who have ears to hear. I think even Jesus knew when he was preaching 
They're just our people. Even you've got Jesus. You think, how, how persuasive? Surely the son of God is maybe the most persuasive voice you could imagine. He was not a persuasive voice. In fact, so unpersuasive was he that the crowds of people who followed him found his argument so thin that they easily abandoned him. And the only crowds left on his last moments were the crowds shouting, crucify him. That's how persuasive he was. And yet he was aware that there are people who don't have ears to hear. They do not want to hear the truth. Wrong. Ad hominem. Uh, I want to hear the truth about all sorts of things. There are some things I don't care about. That doesn't mean I want to hear a lie about them. But if I want to look into them at all, I want to hear it. I want to hear the truth. I, I'm not looking for information to simply validate my preconceptions. If I'm looking into information, it is to find the truth that will either validate my preconceptions or invalidate my preconceptions so that I can change what I believe wrongly into something that is correct. That's why you look into anything at all. And so uh, do not let Christians get away, even for a moment, to get away with this kind of Romans 1 ad hominem uh, of, ah, you just... You just don't want to know the truth. Bullshit. And I think that's the reality. So I did I did it for the sake of wanting to be persuasive and reasonable. I think we have a duty. You're not going to be persuasive or reasonable if you're telling people their motives are bad. Fuck you. To do that. I Was that persuasive enough? Knew, I knew that people, every time I respond to one accusation, I'm going to get 10 more come on me. That's just the nature of it. So I think it's- Because the more you open your mouth, the more awful you get. And just listening to this little section, I understand why you got the tsunami of negativity and why you got shit canned from your institution. You fool. The right to put it out there for posterity and say, look, I tried, <laughs> tried to be reasonable. Um, but it was, it, in the end, it was going to happen what's going to happen. And what basically happened is by the time, I think by 11 a.m., I was again, unaware of this, the, the college had, I don't even have a smartphone, so I don't know this is happening. Okay. This is what I mean by, uh, you know, clueless. This is a professor at a college teaching, uh, young adults today in today's time, not in the 1800s in today's time. He does not understand Twitter X. He doesn't understand it at all, but it's more than that. He doesn't understand. He doesn't even have a smartphone. There may be some religious kind of Amish thing going on here as well. You know, this anti-technology kind of uh, mood going on. Because to, to be a person in that position and to be able to boast, I don't even have a smartphone. You should be unhireable. I, I go on Twitter when I go on my laptop. So this is all going mad. This college by around 11 or 12, I think, had tweeted that they thought this the tweet was un unacceptable, inappropriate, it doesn't reflect the views or ethos of, of Cliff College. And I thought that was really surprising because there's loads of people that, that it would reflect the views and ethos of what they think. They might not have used the word invading, but I would just even challenge those people to say, if you if you agree with me technically, but you wouldn't use the word invading, do you, do you not think it's an invasion? Like, what do you think it is? What do you think? It's not an invasion. You want people from the world to come to your church and be a part of your club cult. So they are. They're not checking their homosexuality at the door. You're the one inviting them. So maybe if you don't want to be invaded, maybe you should be more clear about your invitation. 
and maybe just say, by the way, if you're a homosexual, don't come as you are. All right. We're not, we don't, we don't want you people. (laughs) So don't, don't invite them in to experience the love of Jesus and also say they're invading the church. What the hell are you talking about? I just don't understand it. Earlier, I mentioned that I don't know what the institution's policies are. Here he's uh, alluding to a statement that was made by official channels from the institution saying this does not reflect our views. Now, I've got a feeling that he knows full well that these ideas don't reflect their views. When he preached on this, he, he mentioned this earlier, that he preached on this and then wasn't invited to preach again. I think he probably knew it didn't reflect their views then. And, and he did it anyway, because he is on a mission. He's a soldier for Christ, after all. And so he does this thing very publicly on a uh, technology social media forum that he does not understand. And the university responds very quickly. This doesn't reflect our views. Don't listen to this idiot who have we, we've been trying to tame for a long time. Just this is not us. Happening. Like, what, what is actually right. happening? Why, why do we suddenly all of a sudden think that this is okay? Like, no one ever thought this not in the history of the church until the 20th century. Not even the liberal scholars of the 19th century who were tearing the Bible apart piece by piece. Not even they had the gall to say that the Bible is pro-same-sex marriage. It didn't even come into their head that that was a possible option to interpret. Okay, sorry. Uh, I know that you were responsible for preaching and theology and things like that at your university, but you still answer to the administration of the university. So this is not, the university is not your personal platform for your pet peeves. You have to represent the views of the university. All right. So I don't care what you think on this issue. You know, that's, you might, you might even be right about what you think on the issue, but that is not what wins the day here. What wins the day is that you're an employee at an institution and you are violating their, if not unwritten, written policy perhaps, and you know full well that you are, and you're doing it because you think you have a right, a mission, a call from God to do it. Well, they also had a right and a mission and a call to throw your ass out on the street. So it's quite obviously a secular thing that's happened that's come into the church. Um, So anyway, those, you know, that, that was kind of happening. The college denounced me. It put me in a position where I couldn't really it was hard to then back down, especially because they'd come against me without... Now we've got the pride issue coming in. You know, they've done this publicly. Now it's hard for me to back down. You don't expect me to back down now, do you? I mean, they, they challenged me. Well, certainly you didn't expect them to back down because you went out and said this. You went out and took this, quote-unquote, in-house debate to the public. You expected them to back down, but... You can't be expected to back down because you're full of so much righteous pride now. Righteous pride. Is that is that an oxymoron? Speaking to me. Um, I so you had got, no conversation with them. You had no, no conversation with them before, because this happened so quickly, before yeah, exactly, they, yeah. they denounced this in a, in a yeah. tweet. What they what they did do is they emailed my work account. I mean, they could have called me. I've been called yeah. before in, in random situations out of hours. <laughs> so I didn't get a call. I got an email to my work account. 
probably around the time they did the tweet. And I came in, so that's probably how they were covering their backs. But they wanted to respond quickly. Like without that's how institutions often work. We need to respond quickly to the to the crisis. Okay, let me let me just stop here. I know where he's going. So they emailed him. They're saying that you know they didn't even try to reach out to him before the state. They emailed him probably on a work computer. But again, we've established this guy doesn't know shit about technology. Now, maybe it's the Institute's fault for not doing some basic training on technology, but I've got a feeling this guy, if he went through such a training program, wouldn't have listened anyway. So they emailed him, and he's complaining that they didn't try to communicate with him because they didn't call him on a rotary dial phone, no doubt. It, email? What is this email you're doing? Uh, uh, some official email on my uh, school-issued computer. You email? That's what you consider contact? Yes, you fool. Um, because all of these Methodists who are purse-string holders for the college are jumping on. Big, big players are jumping on this and, and getting involved. And so they felt the need to, you have to act quickly. That's how a social media works. You must respond fast in, in, as the mob has chosen the timing. You don't get to choose the timing. So, well, let's reflect on this. No, the mob has said you have to respond now. So that's what they did. And I came into work the next day, checked my email. I saw an email from the day before. We've seen this has come on on social media. People have responded to it in this, these ways. We'd like you to take it down as a first port of call and then have a conversation with you. I okay. We would like you to take it down. This is what the email said. They tried to reach him before. We would like to take it down uh, and have a conversation with you. This is reasonable. This this is a reasonable thing. He could have said, yes, no problem. I will take it down uh, and leave it down pending the results of the conversation. He could have done that. Because just because you take something down doesn't mean you can't put it back up. So he could have taken it down. That would not have been a repudiation of what he's saying. It is to disarm while you have conversation about it. And who knows how that conversation would have went? We will never know. said, more than happy to have a conversation. I hope you understand I can't take that down in good conscience. Um, I've actually been the one who's been harassed. So if you say- Right. So he's, his response is, I can't take it down. Not in good conscience. I can't do it. I can't back down. I'm the one in charge here. Uh, my, my conscience is the one that matters. Not your school, not your policies but my religious conscience. So I'll talk to you, but I am not going to, you know, take away the grenade, you know, long enough for us to talk. You know, if we parlay, it's going to be with a gun to your head and I'm going to keep shooting. I'm not going to take it down. This guy should not be taken seriously. You know, I started off by having some sympathy for this guy, but I've kind of talked myself into thinking this this guy should have probably been fired a long time ago. That my tweet caused people harm. Think about the stress that I've been under. Everyone calling me a hateful, horrible person as a result. Right. The hateful, horrible bigot uh, has been a distress. Now, he is not for a moment thinking about the emotional distress that he causes homosexuals by by his rhetoric he's he's not interested in that at all but when the school asks him to temporarily take down a post so that they can have communication about it 
he's persecuted. We should all feel for the bigot. Um, so I can't do that in good conscience. So let's have a conversation and I'm happy to talk about it with you. Um, I then got the email and said, yes, come to a meeting at four o'clock in the afternoon. At that meeting, the first line that I was told from the principal was, this is not going to be a conversation. I was like, okay, I thought, I thought we were going to have a conversation, but we're apparently we're not having a conversation. He said, what I'm going to do now is to redo your suspension letter. So I didn't have a conversation at any point. I just read the suspension. So- okay, but they tried to have a conversation with you. They sent you an email. They gave you terms for a conversation. You're the one who said you couldn't do it. You couldn't meet those terms. So you are the one who foreclosed on the conversation. From tweet to that email, uh, not really an exchange, just me responding saying, I can't take down the tweet. Let's talk about it. I got suspended for two weeks. No contact with staff or students allowed. And then was given my... You clearly should have never had contact with students. Investigation letter, the report that was done on me during that time, about two weeks later, and then fired the week after that. So it all happened very, very fast. It was very strange. How long had you been teaching there? Uh, Seven years. So it was in my seventh year, basically. Yeah, I started in did 2016. They, did they say there was, did they try to say there was some other issue? Did they try to, you know, add other things into it for why they were letting you go? No, there was no, there was no, so in the, in the process of disciplinary, it wasn't like, well, you've done this and this and this, and there's this strike and you're, you know, you're three strikes now. There's nothing like that. I <clears throat> clearly I'd had disagreements with some of them before on some. Right. Clearly I've had disagreements with some of them before is his way of saying that he had been a fly in the ointment for a long time there. That this didn't start with this incident. He, he knew what the situation is when he made that tweet. He understood exactly whose toes he would be stepping on when he made that tweet. This is not some innocent party. This, this is something that had clearly been going on behind the scenes for a while. These issues, but I raised them, I think, quite respectfully and said, look, this is the issues I think for the college that ironically I'd been saying for years that if we align ourselves with Methodism on, on the gay marriage and don't make any kind of attempt to make a statement that's slightly different that says, if a gay person comes here, we're not going to like hound them out and say they're terrible people. I would, I mean, I had many gay students in my classroom um, who would even put in, in, in their, you know, evaluation feedback sometimes, you know, I disagree with Aaron on his views on this, but I was never made to feel I couldn't share a, a different opinion. Okay, and this is where he's just delusional. This is where the bigot is delusional. This is where the slave owner says, yeah, but uh, I've gotten many feedbacks from, you know, the slave uh, bosses out in the field, and they all say that they really like the way they've been treated. That's, that's this statement. Well, suddenly those people started coming, well, many people started writing letters and say, well, I would now feel very harmed if I was in Aaron's classroom. They were always harmed in your classroom. You goddamn fool. And I kind of think, well, that's just really funny because you never told me that. We've talked about these issues. You know my views. You know that's not really true. They did a hundred times over in the ways that they could. But once again, you hold a position of power. You have the ability to pass or, f- or fail and you're obviously a loose cannon. No one's going to say it to your face exactly like that. And if they had, you would have just argued with them and argued them right out of the college. You goddamn fool. What did you expect? 
but again, jumping on the back of it. So I think clearly they would, the college, maybe the college wanted to get rid of me, um, but they didn't do so through the proper channels. So I didn't have like an official disciplinary record. And, and there we go. Of course, the college wanted to get rid of him. They knew what he was. They, this had been going on for years, for a very, very long time. And they hadn't done it yet. And this was the straw that broke the camel's back. So let's be very clear about that. Where they'd said, look, we've told you this and we've given you a formal written warning of this or that. I'd never had that. Or at least they never told me that had happened. So, and it didn't come up in the disciplinary. So they didn't, the whole thing was around the effect of the tweet. That's the entire reason I was fired. They said, you didn't take down the tweet. That was my, my act of kind of aggression, as it were, refusing to take it down. But I said, by the time that that had all happened, even if I'd wanted to take it down, which I don't think I would, you had put me in a position that is really unfair. Um, yeah, because you, um, you made him look bad in public and his pride was activated, right? It's unfair. His pride was activated. It's kind of like when uh, there's an argument going on on the discussion board. Which, which happens from time to time. Uh, people get in, a, get in a heat, and it can be Christian atheist. It can be atheist against atheist. We hardly see Christian against Christian arguments on the board. Guys are scared to do that. Um, but that, I mean, look, I just delete that last statement. Um, and people get their back up, right? And so now they can't back down. You know, the, the pride has taken over and, and now you've got to get the last word and you've got to win at any cost. Happens to every commenter on every discussion board. It, it, it simply does. Human nature. However, the Christian would call that sinful pride. Except for when it's them, then it's righteous indignation. To say that I had to do that and I think I couldn't do that based on what I'd said. Me saying what I said was hard enough anyway. Is what yeah. I then the flack I got. So then to have to take it down because you're going to fire me if I don't is outrageous. I think. Well, what? It, so so let's talk about. Obviously, you're terminated. I imagine that was shocking. How has this affected your life? I know that's a loaded question, but but I'm, I'm sure personally, professionally, take us through the effects this has had on you. Yeah, I, I think it's been a, a very stressful time. Obviously, so that though I stand by my language, and though I stand, I wouldn't regret anything that I've said or anything that's happened. And I, although. I, try to cultivate um, an attitude and a posture that cares more about what God thinks than what people think. Um, it doesn't mean that it doesn't affect you when people, especially those you care about and know well, think ill of you, as has happened. So I have lost friends. I have people just not being in contact with me that would normally be. Even some family members just don't understand and you're never going to be able to persuade them. And that's really hard. Um, I've had cardiac symptoms of stress related to a lot of that. Which kind of yeah, so so do we all. So do we all. Welcome to the club of what happens when fundamentalist religion turns against you. Now, in this case, you're the funding, and you're getting a taste of it, and you're shocked. You're supposed to be the one dishing it out. You're not supposed to be the one getting it. Well, I'm sorry. So many of the listeners of this podcast and podcasts of uh, you know, uh, listeners of other podcasts have gone through these exact same things, maybe even worse than what you're feeling. And I'm sorry that you're going through that. That's very diff difficult, and I understand it. But, you know, putting all of the respect into this that I think you deserve, 
Fuck you. Of especially during the time of the, of the suspension and, and dismissal, but then even occasionally since then that it can sometimes return. So it's not easy, um, though, like I say, it's kind of the cross to bear um, for when you stand up for truth and you get... Uh, uh, okay, that's, that's the cross to bear. Here we go with this persecution language. We must all bear our cross for Jesus. But, you know, if you listen to Jesus, you should do it with joy. With joy. If a, if a person burdens you to carry his pack one mile, carry it two. If, if a person takes your outer cloak, give him your shirt to go with it. You're supposed to bear this joyfully for Jesus. So you got the cross-bearing language right, but you forgot the rest of what Jesus said about it. No wonder they fired you. Maybe, <laughs> maybe they fired you because your theology was really bad. You, you get these kind of effects that happen. I mean, I used to tell my students in in uh, the preaching class. I used to teach the undergraduate students that you know often talk about Jeremiah's example that when you have something you need to say that God's calling you to say, it is like stop. God's not calling you to say anything. I, I won't let people get away with that either. God called me to do that. No, He didn't. No, he did not. God did not speak to you. You did not hear a voice. You did not see writing on the wall. God didn't call you to do any. This is a piece of religious ease that kind of is magical language that stands for a thing that they don't really want to say outright, but they really believe that God from heaven is doing something special in their heart and pushing them, moving them to say certain things and teach certain things. Now, I understand that you've got a burning in your bosom. You've got a real hard-on for this issue, and you want to say it, but stop calling that God. And stop accusing him for, uh, of, of calling you to do this. This is just as specious an argument as Flip Wilson's, the devil made me do it. The fire shut up in your bones, as Jeremiah says, and you're weary with holding it in, um, and you can't, you can't really hold it in. You need to speak it up. Um, you need to see a counselor even though you know that when you do, you're going to have uh, people say bad things about you or do bad things to you. And so that's been really, really hard. And um, I think knowing that you're probably seen as um, a bad egg um, by other academic institutions is not easy because kind of that sense of your career being up in smoke. Uh, there are plenty of fundamentalist uh, universities that would love to have you on staff. But the thing that would give them pause is you don't understand technology, you don't understand social media, you don't know exactly how to use these things and what to expect, and they don't want some loose cannon like you bringing down like uh, their university like you almost brought this one down. That kind of thing, that even those places that might agree with you in your stance, they might not agree with the way you've gone about it, so they, you know, maybe you're just a troublemaker, someone who's gonna cause ill repute for the college. Um, which just affects your whole life, your whole career, everything you've worked towards and planned towards. Um, so that's why for me, it's been clearer that I need to plan towards something very different going forward, where I'm thinking more about how can we reform theological education and help reform the church so that actually we are freer to speak what the Bible says without being embarrassed about it. So the phrase that I've kind of been milling around for a while has been to be shamelessly biblical, not just apologetically biblical, but shamelessly biblical, not to apologize for God's word, even if it may challenge us, all of us, even those, those of us who claim to hold it strongly.
um, we need to be shameless about it and not. And okay, this is uh, kind of what I was saying about Ken Ham, and this is the part that I uh, like about him and agree with him on. If if his beliefs are biblical and true, it does not matter what science says. It does not matter what culture says. What matters is what God says, and you should be willing to take the slings and arrows and consequences of standing up for what you believe. So in this way, I agree with this person. If this is what he believes, even if it goes against every Christian institution and every Christian, he is convinced that God is telling him this stuff. Okay, once again, I I think that when you are convinced that God is telling you to do what the bulk of everyone else is saying not to do, maybe it's not God telling you to do it. You know, you think you're so special. God is talking to you and telling you to go against the culture. Maybe if God wanted to get this message out, he would give his message to more of the culture <laughs> and not just you, just a thought uh, on that. Good, sir. Constantly be embarrassed about it before the world. Um, and I think that's how Christianity got to places like the US. <laughs> sure. So once again, go on your mission, but stop trying to get employed by universities. Because universities also have secular responsibilities and secular ties. So uh, I don't know why you were at the university in the first place. If you were a uh, lone ranger, ranger, a loose cannon, uh, the the prophet of God saying what he's calling you to say, you had no business at the university anyway, because you knew exactly what was coming. And so, yeah, you you go out on your own and you suffer, suffer that persecution. But stop doing videos uh, asking people to feel sorry for the bigot, to feel sorry for the persecuted. That's the life you joyfully signed up for. You got it. Um, because we had people who were so willing to live on their con live out the convictions and speak out the convictions. So when people opposed them, they didn't shrink back. They actually were galvanized to say, no, I really believe this, and this is good for you. And I know you're going to hate me for this, but I'm going to keep saying it. You don't get to tell people, especially strangers who are not a part of your cult, what's good for them. You actually don't get to do that. That's not your job. It, and we don't have to validate your delusion that it is your job, no matter how much you insist that God has called you to tell culture what is and isn't good for them. I, I, once again, I don't, I don't understand why you're doing this video or why you ever got involved in any institution in the first place. Is this some new revelation that you're having? Did you, did you not understand God's original calling in the first place? Did God call you to come to this university? Well, God was an idiot. If, if I don't, I don't understand how any of this God calling me to do this works because it seems like he just punked you. That's how Christianity spread actually around the world because people were relentlessly committed to the truth. And I think we've lost that relentless commitment to the truth. We've been passive and we've been shirking back and we've been weak minded and, and we need to, we need to kind of recover that confidence in the gospel and in the word of God in our time. So, so though I've been through the mill myself, I actually also feel that I've been strengthened by God in ways um, to help others. And I had so many Christians, thousands of Christians around the world contact me to say, thank you so much. That's encouraged me to take another step, whatever that might mean in speaking out on this or that issue where I couldn't previously. And that for me is really encouraging. Okay. But 
If God wanted to encourage those people who think like you, he could have just called them as well. He could have just implanted, you know, whatever good feelings about anti-homosexuality are in their hearts and confirm um, that he is with them and they are right. He could have done that. He doesn't need you to do that. How does this work? Off the back of the very tumultuous time we've had for myself and my family. Well, yeah, and and you have kids, you have you know a family. This is not an easy thing. Losing your income and the career that you spent a decade building, I would imagine there are difficulties in the midst of this. That you know, financial. You mentioned the stress. That I really want to emphasize standing by your you know your your values. That's what you've done here. It's really easy to say, fine, I'll delete the tweet. Fine, I you know I'll apologize. I'll do these things that I don't really believe I should do. That's the easier path. The harder path is the path that you have taken here. And, you know, I just I want to ask, because now you are challenging this. You're taking action um, of wrongful dismissal, a number of other issues against the college. Talk a little bit about that. What are you hoping to gain from that? Yeah. And the the primary reason is actually to raise awareness of the issue and to and for the sake of justice, public justice Uh, and in the UK, it's. Just horrendous how many. Okay. Raise awareness and for the sake of justice. Here again, this is, uh, this is someone who is on their religious high horse, their moral high horse. I'm not doing it for me. Uh, I'm doing it to, to raise awareness at how evil Christian institutions have gotten. <laughs> and I'm also in it uh, to you know, bring justice, you know, to other people, to stand up for justice, because Christians should be able to say anything and in any forum uh, that are contrary to the views of their institution and get away with it. That's what he's, that's what he's doing this for. How many times this kind of thing happens, but my case is quite unique. I don't think this has happened before um, where there's been a Christian against a Christian organization. And to this kind of level, this kind of high profile, because we're used to- Yeah, I'm special. And so my case is different. I'm special. To hearing Christians canceled because they work for a school or they work- There goes canceled. Um, buzzword time. For a government organization or yeah, a bakery or whatever. Um, and actually now we're seeing it's not even a f- full frontal contact with the world. It's like when the world has gone into the church and into a denomination or into a Christian institution, that you're facing the world from your own people. As the, the world is not going into your denomination. The denomination is going into the world. This is the problem. You're going into the world and you're kind of losing <laughs> on a number of fronts. Uh, the world, you know, we can look at the statistics. The world really isn't going into your churches. Uh, they're fleeing from your churches. Uh, that's not the world going into your churches. To the extent that gay people want to be in your church, gay people were already in your church. Uh, they already have those social ties. Um, so they're already there. They didn't invade you. No one no one is invading your church. I don't, I don't know of many projects, and I think it would be an interesting project. I think it would be a fun project to have gays do things like sit-ins, uh, you know, where they get together you know, a few dozen, hundred, and they go into a church and sit in, dressed in rainbow colors. Just sit. Don't disrupt. I think that would be that would be interesting. <laughs> you might could say then that gays are in 
invading your church, that the culture is going into your church. No, your church is reaching into the culture. That's not culture's fault. So maybe your church is just full of members who aren't as committed to the insane cult uh, theology that you are, but that's a you problem. That's not a culture problem. Well, from your brothers and should be your brothers and sisters in Christ. So I have had people challenge me and say, oh, you shouldn't really be taking this in, a Paul, in, in 1 Corinthians 6, a brother should not take a brother to court. And so I've had to kind of defend that in various fora as well to say, well, actually, it's a, an individual against an institution. It's very different to what Paul was speaking about. No, it's not. No, it's not. Uh, now, once again, you can tell me, uh, listeners, how this works in the UK and other parts of the world. In America, corporations are people. Uh, we have we have ruled that, and that has been upheld many times. Corporations are people, and the reason that is the case is for political financing. There's there's usually money involved somewhere along the line where you get a you know an interesting ruling like that, uh, and so corporations can give money. Uh, to political campaigns, individuals can give money to political campaigns. And um, so for, for many reasons and in many ways, corporations are analogous to people, except when it's inconvenient. And now this person wants a, another religious theological carve out here. Well, brother can't take brother to court unless it's a corporation an institution made up of all Christians. To Paul speaking about trivial matters that we should be able to, we don't need to haul before uh, the world's courts and we should be able to deal with in-house. He's not talking about very serious issues. Wait a minute, very serious issues like you losing your goddamn job. What do you consider a trivial matter anyway? You know, it, a matter is trivial if it doesn't affect you, but it becomes a major issue when it affects you. How do we determine the difference between trivial matters and non-trivial matters? Because I assure you, the thing that you dismiss as a trivial matter is a big deal to somebody. Um, and I think this is a very serious issue that not only affects me, so in many ways, it's not, and we're certainly not doing it for the money. I, I, we had, by God's grace, people have donated and helped us in those. Right, by God's grace. Okay, uh, you remember the guy who smashed uh, the Satanic Temple uh, statue? This guy had tens of thousands of dollars in the first day or two of, of his campaign. He was fine. This guy's raising all kinds of money. People are sending a lot of money his way. So uh, don't feel sorry for this guy that he's lost his job. He's probably received enough money to represent a year's salary by now, uh, if not more. He's going to be fine. Because whenever Christians do something that is, you know, against the law or something that is just uh, culturally bad, even within their own culture, there's going to be a group of like-minded Christians and they will gather around that person and that person is going to have more than enough money to start a new life. You are wasting your sympathy if you're worried about this guy's finances. Ways. So um, we're not primarily doing it for that but of course there will be, there is finance involved in that and um i've been so well supported though by the christian concern christian legal center in the uk which have been doing a wonderful work and they 
um, they regularly have to fight these kind of cases, and they and they make they make things happen, which is really exciting to see that actually they they defend people, GPs who pray for their patients and get fired. They can get them reinstated and that kind of thing, and it helps push case law further on. So I was convinced very early on when I wasn't quite sure this was the right path to take. I was umming and ahhing, and then I realised actually this is an issue of justice, and if I don't do this, this is some some other Christian or ten other Christians are going to be in the similar position, and other academics especially are probably watching this case going, right, what's going to happen here? Like, is this going to help me to speak out um, or is it going to make me shirk back and not say anything? And I think that's the the real motivation for me. The thing. Okay, that's ridiculous. Uh, if you are called by God to say these awful things, you shouldn't be watching how a case turns out to decide if you're going to say these awful things. You should just say them. So he should not be doing this uh Take, taking this case to court to give courage to people who are not obeying God, who are too cowardly to obey God. So they would only do it if they can get guarantees that they won't get fired. It, it's kind of what he's saying. I, I want to I be the guarantor that they won't get fired. And the fact is, if God is calling you to say these things and be persecuted, then it could be that the thing that they need to see is that you will be persecuted, financially uh, destitute, and die a bad death, you know, like the prophets you like to quote. That just a thought. It actually excites me about the case is even if I lose, um, I think it will raise awareness of the problem. And so I think people go, this is outrageous. What on earth, how on earth is this possible? Because I think it is, it is a thing that when people see the story, they see this just seems ridiculous. How is you are raising aware of the problem, and the problem is you. Not even like I'm in a liberal college, officially speaking. When I think they are really kind of in, in a kind of trojanic way, um, but it's an evangelical college firing an evangelical for saying evangelical things. Um, an evangelical college. You know why he called them progressive and liberal? Because they disagreed with him. How can that be possible? Um, so we've really gone into new territory here. So I do hope that it establishes a kind of precedent, which may help other Christians going forward. Well, and and you speaking up, I mean, the reason, going back to what you said at the beginning of the interview, the reason that people don't speak up and they shrink back and they hide is because of what has happened to you. And so... Okay. So once again, if these prophets are hiding because they might get persecuted and even executed by the mob, they're not very good prophets. You being able to say, like, this this is an example, but to say, you know, I'm going to stand up, I'm going to set a different example of what you do, which is to stand yeah. your ground, speak the truth, love God, love others, but do it in truth. And I think that is the, what you were saying before, that is an essential thing for all Christians to be doing right now. Again, the easy Absolutely. path is to, uh, to allow yourself to do whatever it takes to not get canceled. But um, here we are with this case. I know you'll be heading to court um, next year, 2024, we'll continue mm -hmm. to monitor this. Really appreciate your time today. Okay. Um, just a comment on that last part, you know, do whatever you, whatever it takes to not get canceled. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm struck by this because if you're going to be a mouthpiece for God, a prophet for God, you actually want to be canceled. Why, why, why would you not want to be canceled? If people have the right not to listen to you. They have the right not to invite you to lectures. They have a right to do all of that. And if you listen to Jesus, 
if you're living a right life, the world is going to persecute you. All who live godly in Christ will suffer persecution. It is a sign that you are living godly in Christ. In this case, you could equate, maybe loosely, persecution to what you call being canceled. So why are you trying to keep a foothold, uh, to keep a good place in society, when you should be trying to keep a good place in the kingdom of God? And if you're listening to, once again, if you're listening to Jesus, if you're listening to Paul, then the way to do that is to stand up for what you believe despite the persecution, and you should smile when the mob comes to stone you. You're not smiling. You see, it's not culture trying to change religion. It's religion trying to change culture so that culture will be more amenable to the, to the crazy cult-like behavior of religion. Religion wants a soft place to land in the culture, and so they want to remake culture so that they have that soft place to land. And by the way, they want to exploit uh, secular uh, culture and society and governance. They want to exploit it by getting tax exemptions or even tax payments from the state to prop up their universities and parachurch organizations. They want the culture. Once again, the culture is not invading your institutions. You're invading the culture. And what you're trying to do is change the culture and remake it into your own image. And I would maintain that theologically, that is absolutely the wrong approach. Christian after Christian after Christian should stand up and walk with a straight back into the lion's den, knowing what's going to happen. And that's how you change the culture. That's how the early Christians, according to the Bible anyway, changed the culture. According to history, that's the kind of thing that happened that changed the culture. But you don't want to be a martyr. You want to be, you want to be, a, have a good place in society, a good place at the table with a cushy university job and a cushy university salary and guarantees that no one is going to, quote unquote, cancel you for preaching your gospel. Well, I don't know what gospel that is, but it's not the gospel of Jesus or the gospel of the Bible. It's going to do it for today. I'll start doing shorts again uh, shortly, I think, I hope. Uh, a lot of pain. Uh, I've got to take medicine. If you hear, you know, the quaver in my voice every now and then as I stammer over words, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's that. <laughs> That's what it is. Uh, once again, if you were sympathetic and moved to say something sympathetic and supportive, redirect your efforts toward making a comment about the content of the program. That is what will give me the greatest boost and the greatest joy. I thank you so much for following this journey with me and being a part of the audience and the program. 
skepticsandseekers.squarespace.com. Log in your Discuss account and discuss away. You can email me directly and ask anything you like. I may not answer you. I'll give you some answer, but you can ask anything you like. Skepticsandseekers at gmail.com. Until next time, I'll see you in the comments. And in the meantime, I'm out.